he throws at me every week. So if I ever come up here and I look dazed, it's because he's done something and he knows what he's done. And, and nobody else does. So, hey, we are honored today. If you're a guest with us, we have a very special uh, speaker today. You won't be hearing me. Uh, uh, to our church family, uh, many of you are familiar with Dr. Phil Brassfield. Dr. Brassfield has been a member of our accountability board here at the church for a really long time. And not that either he or I are getting any older, but he has grandchildren. And so, anyway... Um, but, <laughs> yeah, yeah, he'll, he'll say in a little while that he's thankful for his wife, Kathy, getting to come with him now. Well, when, when he first started traveling, she was, like, at home taking care of kids. And so and, uh, now she can come because um, they're like empty nesters. And isn't that something? Yeah, 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 hallelujah. But uh, Dr. Brasfield came into our life uh, 13, 14 years ago. It was really kind of a funny story. A friend of mine had met him. Uh, that pastored in Owasso. I don't even know how he even, I don't know even how that all came about, but um, they had an extra Sunday, and he, he called me up. <laughs> yeah, he called me up and said, hey, good friend, uh, you want to have a guest this weekend? And uh, I don't know what made me do it, but, um, but somehow or another it all worked out, and it started this fantastic relationship. Um, with um, Dr. Phil Brassfield, with um, Kathy, and then with Destiny Ministries. Many of us um, on pastoral team are licensed or, or ordained uh, through uh, Destiny Ministries. Also um, have several others that are ordained or licensed through uh, Destiny Ministries here in our church. And we also are a satellite campus with um, with the Leadership um, Institute there, uh, DLI, um, have several students, current students right now. I am currently teaching in that program as well. Um, and all of these wonderful relationships started on that one simple phone call from a friend in Owasso that said, I have a guest and I think you would really um, enjoy him if, if you want to, to join in with me on that. Um, Dr. Brassfield um, ultimately uh, agreed to become a member of our accountability board. He helped us transition in a, just a really a kind of a catastrophic transition years ago out of a denomination and Dr. Brassfield was there held our hand we cried on his shoulder a lot he gave us tremendous advice like don't start um, an advertising campaign right now to convince 100 people not to come back and um, uh, wonderful advice wonderful advice I've never forgotten that I've told that story everywhere because our church was in transition and it was difficult time and thankfully uh, he's been with us long enough to see both ends of the spectrum and he sees the blessing, and I always enjoy having him come, and he's able to see everything that we've done and everything that we're currently doing. And it is an honor, truly an honor, to have Dr. Phil Brassfield on our accountability board. This man is a man who speaks into my life and whom I'm accountable to with this church. Would you stand with me as we honor Dr. Phil Brassfield from um, Hebrew Springs, Arkansas, our dear friend and our council member. Amen. I love you. <laughs> Hey everybody, God bless you. It is great to be in God's house today. And just remain standing. We're going to read the word of the Lord. I know you've been up and down like popcorn, but that's, that's just part of being in a great church. And how many believe you're attending an awesome church and have the best pastors in the world right here? Yeah, amen. We love your pastors and are so grateful for the relationship. I mentioned in the, the first service how one of the things that has been such a blessing over the years with uh, Pastor Rob and Pastor Raylene is their faithfulness. 
and their commitment to excellence. I mean, every time I come, it's like there's something new. There's a, there's a new program. There's a new... I'm so glad to hang out with people that are serious about doing what they do for God. Can I get an amen for that? Amen. Amen. Let's give them a hand. Amen. And so uh, we love them, and uh, we are old friends, but not friends that are old, and that's an important emphasis to put on our age. And I'm delighted to have my wife, uh, Kath, with me today. Kath, just wave at everybody and smile. And, and uh, yeah, she's my dearest friend and traveling buddy, and, uh, and just a joy to have her. Uh, I'd like you to take your Bibles in your hand. Turn with me to the book of 1 Peter, and uh, we're going to get right into the Word of the Lord today. I want to share good news with you today. How many are tired of bad news? Anybody in the room tired of bad news? It's like you've had more than that. You know, some people carry bad news like somebody's paying a bounty or something for it. I mean, just, I don't want to blow your theological halos off today, but nobody's paying a bounty for bad news in this place. This is a happy place. How many believe the church ought to be the happiest place on earth right here? You bet. Because, I mean, our job is to share good news, and that's what we're going to talk about today is the good news of the gospel. And I want to begin reading in uh, the book of First Peter, and we're going to begin in chapter number 1, looking at verse number 18. And when you're there, say amen. Amen. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from the aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers. You couldn't buy your way out of the situation you were in, nor did it matter your pedigree. Fact is, every one of us needed a Savior. We've all, as my dad used to say, who pastored for 50 years, we've all descended from a crooked farmer and a drunken sailor. One was named Adam and the other Noah. And that's, uh, that's where we've come from. He says, Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from the aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Somebody say amen to that. Amen. amen. Let's turn to the second book of Corinthians, and I want to read one more passage of Scripture and then... Let you be seated in 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. I'll begin reading at verse number 14. Both of these passages of Scripture are very familiar, I'm sure. Verse 14. For the love of Christ compels us. What a statement. We are compelled by His love. For the love of Christ compels us because we judge. Some of your translations may say reckon thus. It's a counting term. We have considered the matter and this is our conclusion. We reckon thus. That if one died for all, then all died. Or we might say it this way. That when he died, we all died in him. All of us died in him. Verse 15. And he died for all that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh. Yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. Perhaps one of the most widely quoted verses in the entire Bible. And what a powerful verse it is. 
therefore. Somebody say, therefore. Based on what Paul has said about the fact that everyone died in Christ on the cross. And if one died for all, then all died. Therefore, if any man be in, in Christ. Some say in Christ. When he in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. And behold, all things have become new. Verse 18, now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ Jesus and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. The responsibility to declare the good news of the gospel, the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Did you know the sins of the entire world have been forgiven by God because of the work of Jesus Christ? The reason we share the good news is to tell them about it. Now, I'm not saying the entire world is saved. I'm saying they could be. I'm saying they could be saved. And it's our job to tell them they could be saved because of Jesus' finished work. All right. Verse 21, For he who made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Okay. You can close your Bibles. Let's pray together, and then we're going to get into the Word of the Lord. Father, we thank you for the Word. We thank you for the power that's in it. We thank you for this beautiful congregation, Lord, the families that they represent. Thank you for this great church and the leaders here, Lord. We love them all. And I pray, God, that in these moments that we share together, that the word would come alive. Lord, I ask, God, that you will use me, Father. Father, if you can, use me today, Lord. But if not, then move me out of the way, Lord, and use your word to transform the hearts of your people. Let us be reminded, Lord, perhaps for the hundredth time of what you've done for us at the cross. For those who've never accepted it, let it be the very first time. But for both groups, let it be meaningful, impactful, and transformative by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. High five somebody and tell them, get ready for the word of the Lord. You have to be careful high-fiving them in the dark. You might slap them, so you've got to be really mindful of what you're doing. You know, watch your hand. I read these two passages to you because I wanted you to understand and maybe just to bring before you to the forefront the core of the gospel, the absolute foundation of the gospel. I think sometimes some of us have been saved too long. I think some of us have been saved too long. Sometimes it's easy for us to forget what we've been saved from and to. Sometimes we forget the price that was paid that we could be free and that we could know joy and that we could know happiness and prosperity. And so for those of you who've been saved a long time, let this message today be a reminder. The title of my message is entitled The Landfill Symphony. The Landfill Symphony. And hopefully I can make sense of that for you in a few moments. For those of you who may have never accepted Jesus and you don't really know what this Christianity thing is about, then let me have the great honor, perhaps for the very first time, to declare to you the good news of the kingdom, the good news. Did you know the gospel, that's what the word means, the gospel is good news. And in these days of turbulent, all kinds of political upheaval and economic unrest and 
terrorism and all kinds of things that's going on around the world, you don't have to be a big purveyor of news. You can go to about any flavor that you want to, whatever station you want, and it doesn't take long for you to realize that there's lots of bad news around the world. But did you know the role and the mission of the church hasn't changed? And that's, this is the role and the mission of the church. Jesus said it this way at the end of the Olivet Discourse. That's uh, maybe chapter 24 of the book of Matthew, if you're interested in reading that, where Jesus talks about all these ominous things that's going to be going on. And there'll be wars and rumors of wars, and there'll be nation rising against nation, and famine and pestilence. And he goes through all these things that are going to be happening toward the end days. And there's great debate as to whether that happened at the end of the, maybe the apostolic era, or maybe with the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem, A.D. 70, or is it yet to happen? And how many believe that prophecy can have multifaceted? It's to it in the terms of some of it can happen immediately and then some of it it may be a thousand, two thousand years before it comes to pass. So my intent today is not to settle the dispute that's raged about the Olivet Discourse. But it's interesting to me that at the end of all those things Jesus said was going to happen with all the wars and rumors of wars and nation rising against nation and pestilence and famine and all that stuff and offended folk. Jesus said everybody's going to be mad about something. Have you ever seen a time in our history where there's more offended folk? And the fact is, I'm not even saying that a lot of that offense is not justified. I'm just saying Jesus said it would happen. But the interesting thing to me about that passage is he ends it by saying, but this good news of the kingdom shall be preached as a witness to all nations, and then the end will come. That just tells me that no matter what's going on in the world, no matter what's happening on Wall Street, no matter what's happening in Washington, as a believer and part of the body of Christ, I've got one job, and that's to share good news with people who are in despair, who are, in, who are discouraged, and who are struggling. The good news is not what's happening politically or economically. The good news is Jesus came and shed his blood and died on a cross and rose again on the third day so that you can have peace that passeth understanding. Hallelujah. Now, listen, I'm a preacher, and I may get a little loud, but I ain't mad at anybody. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's, just, it's just how I feel about it. These two passages, though, really underscore the core of the gospel. And the core of the gospel is built on the foundation of the blood of Jesus and the death of Jesus on the cross. The first one that I read in your hearing, Peter tells us that we are redeemed by the blood of Jesus. That means, that term is kind of has to do with the cancellation of debt. See, back in those days, if you got in debt, you then were taken in, you could be taken into bondage, into like debtor's prison. Can I tell you today that every one of us who have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God were literally brought into a debtor's prison by Satan through the fear of death because the wages of sin is death. And I'm pretty sure I'm in a room filled with people that have fallen short of the glory of God. Can I get an amen? As a matter of fact, the scripture doesn't let any of us off the hook. We're all told, right? For there is none righteous, no, not one. Every one of us have sought our own way. We've tried to do it our own way. And we have fallen short of the glory of God. And when he says there's none righteous, no, not one, look at your neighbor and say, Salem, that then means you too. That includes you. You may, have, you may have tried to convince them you're perfect all these years, but if they've lived with you very long, they know that that was a lie. Can I get an amen for that? Amen. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. Consequently, our sin brought us into debt to, to, to Satan through his fear of death because the wages of sin were death. You see, our sin violated the tenets and the principles and the power of a holy God. 
But the blood of Jesus deals with what you've done. The good news I'm going to share with you today is Jesus' blood paid the debt you owed to the holiness of God. That debt that you racked up with all those lies and all that wild living that you did, some people literally, if they saw you today and they knew you five years ago, it'd blow their mind that you're sitting in church raising your hands and worshiping the Lord. Can I get an amen? But you know what happened to you? You became aware of your sin debt. You realized that somebody paid a debt that you couldn't pay and that somebody was Jesus Christ. And he paid it with his precious blood. Hallelujah. It was his blood that paid your sin debt. So now you don't owe, you don't owe bad memories, you don't owe, you know the devil will try to mess you up because he'll try to get you to pay your sin debt with your own efforts. And here's the currency that he'll try to get you to pay it with, guilt, shame, and condemnation. The devil will convince you of a lie that you can, if you, are, if you feel bad enough about what you did, if you feel guilty enough about what you did and feel shameful enough about what you did, if you live in enough condemnation, someday you might feel better about what you went through or what you did. But how many of you know that's a lie from the pit of hell? You can't have enough shame to get over your sin debt. There's only one antidote for there's only one currency that can pay your debt off and that is the blood of Jesus Christ. And I tell you, a lot of times I think we struggle with the grace of God because we don't appraise the blood the way God appraises the blood. If the blood meant to us what it means to God, we would never have a problem showing grace to people. Can I get an amen? I need a better amen than that because that's true for every one of us. Amen. We struggle, with, we struggle with grace because we don't understand the intrinsic, incredible value of the blood. And I don't propose to be able to explain it to you, but I can tell you it's powerful enough to God to wash away every sin that's ever been committed by every person that's ever been born on this planet and everything that you've done or everything that's been done to you when you apply the blood of Jesus Christ to it, it can make it brand new. Hallelujah. Praise. That is good news. Look at your neighbor and say, that's good news right there. That is good news right there. Yeah. So the blood deals with what I've done. Would you say that with me? The blood deals with what I've done. But one thing the blood doesn't do is it doesn't change me. It cleanses me. It frees me. It redeems me. But the fact is, even after I've received the blood and received the cleansing of Jesus' blood, I'm still a sinner. It wasn't his blood. The blood was never designed to work in exactly that way. It's why Jesus had to bleed to death. Because he had to not just suffer, he had to die. And that's the second passage that I read to you today. Where Paul says, For the love of Christ compels us, for we have accounted it this way. We have reckoned thus. If one died for all, then all died. Now, I want you to imagine just for a minute the worst you've ever been. Or somebody that you've known that was the most vile, absolute, wretched person you've ever imagined. I want you to think for a minute about that, and I want you to just contemplate that for a minute. It's not a happy thought. It's not a fun thought. But I want you just to think about it for a minute. And then I want to tell you that that person that you were, if you have come to Christ, doesn't exist anymore. You literally were executed by God's judgment in the body of His Son, Jesus, on the cross. 
So if you're struggling, yeah, I used to do this, and man, I, if I could just get over that, I, I, oh, I was such a bad person. Or I, I, I did, I've dealt in counsel with people over the years that were always struggling with what they had done, trying to get over it. But let me tell you, according to the gospel, according to the good news, that person that you were, that sinner that you were, that adulterer that you were, that liar that you were, that cheater that you were, that person didn't get off scot-free. No, that person was put in the person of Jesus Christ on the cross and executed in its sins. Are y'all in the room with me today? That's why you can be a brand new creation in Christ Jesus because you're not who you used to be. The devil will try to try to convince you and he'll try to put people around you that are always reminding you of who you used to be. But you know what? You can look right back in the face of the devil and say, Devil, that person died at the cross. That person's dead with Jesus. That person's not alive anymore and you're not going to punish a dead person. That person is dead. Oh, my goodness. That makes me just want to run every aisle in the house. What a a foundation for the gospel to be built upon. The fact that his blood deals with what I've done, but at the cross he deals with who I am. And that's why Paul concludes that passage by saying, if any man be in Christ. So if I can get theological with you just for a moment. So we call them federal heads. In other words, these are representatives of entire people groups. And in the mind of God, as it relates to redemption, there are only two in the universe. There are two people. When God looks forth and decrees judgment and justice, there are only two. One was the first Adam who died in his sin. The other is the last Adam, Jesus Christ, who died for all of our sins. And you are either in one and receiving the reward of the one, or you are in the other and you're receiving the reward of the other. 30 time, 34 times in the book of Ephesians, over 30 times in the book of Romans, Paul echoes this message, if we are in Christ, you marry your spouse in Christ, you raise your, Christ, your children in Christ, everything we do, we, do in, we are seated in heavenly places in Christ. It's all about being in Christ. And if you are in Christ, the reason you are in Christ is because the old you died with Adam in his sins at the cross of Calvary. Hallelujah, praise God. So look, look, folks, you've been cleansed by his blood, you've been redeemed and bought back, and you also died with him on the cross so that the sinner you died in the mind of God, the sinner of you died. Do you understand today that that's why we baptize people? You know what baptism is? It's a form of burial. We say again and again, we, you know, when we baptize someone, you are now identifying with the death burial and the resurrection of the Lord. What do you do with a dead body? That's why it's important that you be baptized. I'm not suggesting to you that the water save you, but I'm saying in obedience, I go to the cross where I die with him on the cross, Pastor Rob, and then I go to the tomb where I am buried in the waters of baptism. And then according to the scripture, when I come up out of the water, it is a type and a shadow. It is a metaphor of the newness that's in my life so that I can be everything God's called me to be. Can I tell you today, it doesn't matter what you've done. doesn't matter what's been done to you. God has a purpose for your life. He has a plan for your life. You are free today to be everything God has called you to be with no guilt, no shame. Don't pay any of that stuff. Don't pay that debt. That debt has already been paid. That's why we call it good news. 
And Jesus said, And this good news of the kingdom shall be preached as a witness to all nations before the end comes. How many believe that's good news today? And so that's what the gospel's about. It's good news. It's good news. And it's all over the scripture. Matter of fact, if you study the scripture, both Old and New Testaments, you'll find these stories being told over and over again. Even when it's speaking prophetically of what was going to come, it's always talking about hope and help and good news. I mean, it's all over the Scripture. Jesus taught about it in the New Testament, didn't it? Even before he was crucified, even before it had been fulfilled, or as he says from the cross, it is finished. Even before it was finished, he's telling stories about redemption and about things that blew people's mind. Like he told a story about a selfish little prodigal boy one time. We call him the prodigal son. How many remember that story? Right, And the son goes to his dad and says, Dad, we want, I want my inheritance. Not we, I want my inheritance. I want to have a good time. I want to, and, and his dad gave him, you know the story, Jesus was telling it. And the boy went away in a pagan country. I mean, honestly, Jesus was so dramatic in his stories. Because this would have, everyone in the crowd listening to this story would have been immediately aghast. First of all, that the boy would have had the audacity to go and ask his father for his inheritance before dad died. You're talking about a slap in the face and an insult, huge cultural insult. Then what did the boy do? He didn't just go buy a farm adjacent to his dad. He took his dad's money and he went into a foreign, keyword foreign, into a pagan out of covenant land. And instead of living in covenant, he squandered, Jesus said, all that money in riotous living, the old translation says. I'm not exactly sure what riotous living is, but I'm pretty sure it's not good. He squandered it in riotous living. Only to wind up in a hog pen. To a Jew, how many know a hog pen? This is not a good thing. I mean, there is no lower job you could have than feeding hogs. I'm thankful for pork and sausage. How many breakfast eaters do we have? I appreciate that. And listen, if you are raising hogs here, more power to you. But I'm going to tell you, if you get around and look at a pig farm, it's like this is not, you're not going to wear a white suit to go out in the hog pen. You know what I'm saying? It's a, this is a dirty place. He comes to himself, and then he says, I will go back because I know my father is a good man. And Jesus tells this beautiful story. It's the gospel, y'all. It's the gospel. Jesus records a story for us, or the gospel writers, I should say, record a story for us. So when Jesus said, I have to go through Samaria. No, you don't, Lord. Jews don't go through Samaria. You don't have to do it. No, he said, I've got to do it. In other words, he was saying, I have an appointment with destiny. I'm going to meet a woman here who is, Scripture calls, a sinner or sinful woman. This woman has lived with different people. but She's not been married. She's she, All the trappings that you can imagine. She's so rejected, even in the Samaritan culture, that she wouldn't go to draw water when the rest of the women did. She went in the middle of the day. It, Jesus' disciples, it would, have been, it would have blown their mind. What are we going through, Samaria? Lord, they've called you. I mean, honestly, Lord, first of all, when the, the Pharisees and the scribes didn't like you, they called you demon-possessed. But when that didn't work and that wasn't bad enough, they called you a Samaritan. I mean, that's the biggest insult that you could hurl at someone was to call them a Samaritan, and you've got to go, the rabbi, the Messiah, you've got to go through Samaria. And he goes and meets that woman. And gives her a brand new life. Look at your neighbor that you hadn't talked to yet and say, it's the gospel. It's the gospel. There's something, God has a knack of pulling people out of dumps and trash heaps. 
Anybody in this room that said, that's where I lived. I lived in the dump, and the Lord found me. Any honest Christians in the room? I'll raise both my hands. Absolutely. A tax collector? I mean, Jesus is on his way to be crucified in Luke chapter 19 and goes through Jericho, the kind of a staging city where you went to Jerusalem. You went up to Jerusalem through the, through the desert. You had to go through the desert oasis of Jericho to get supplies. Jesus had done it many times, and consequently, it was a hub of commerce. And there's a tax collector who's a chief tax collector. This, is a, this guy's a big deal, except he's a crook. But he hears that Jesus is coming through. Now, you have to put it in context because Jesus is going to die, y'all. I mean, it's going to be one week later that he will be crucified, right? And he's making his way through Jericho, and Zacchaeus climbs up in a tree. That's right. It wasn't years or months before Calvary. It was a week. One writer says it this way. He set his face toward Jerusalem. He's in the zone. I mean, he is going to do the deal. Jesus is on it. It's his death march. Except right in the middle of his death march, he realizes that Zacchaeus, this guy from the dump of Jericho, had opened his heart. And so Jesus stops under the sycamore tree and says, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm going to go to your house and have dinner tonight. (gasps) I promise you probably could have heard the collective gasp of the crowd. Surely this man's not holy. Surely this man's not a good man. Surely this man's not a prophet. And Pastor Rob, he pushes pause on his death march. The whole plan of redemption goes to pause. Because if Jesus had passed Zacchaeus up, the cross would have meant nothing. It was, it was Zacchaeus that the cross was all about. The blood that he would shed in a week, the death that he would die in a week, was going to purchase freedom for that little crooked tax collector. I said the blood that he shed in a week, the death that he died in a week, was going to cleanse that tax collector of all of his sin, was going to ride him, and was going to give him an opportunity at a brand new life, just like it has you and me. It's the gospel. It's the gospel. The message of the gospel brought cleansing to lepers who were outcasts. It healed the sick and the blind eyes that were opened. All demon people were set free all by the power of the gospel. It wasn't our better ideas. It wasn't our better philosophies. It wasn't our better intuition as to how to live a happy life. No, it was the power of the gospel. That's why Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature because there is power in the gospel. There's power. You will not leave this room unchanged today because I'm preaching to you the gospel of Jesus Christ. I could stand up and give you my philosophies on a happier life and 25 things I've learned and these things are helpful and these things are valuable. But it's the gospel that will change your heart and your life. The gospel. It's good news. And if it wasn't first presented, in, you would think something so transformative and so powerful would, go, would be first presented in the university lecture halls, right? Or, or in the, the halls of some heightened uh, uh, philosophical school of thought in the Greco-Roman world. But it's interesting to me that that's not where it was presented. No, the gospel first appeared to broken people living in trash. Has anybody ever heard somebody say, well, they're just trash. Those human trash. You know, we hate to hear that, but it's pretty accurate about all of us. I hope I didn't blow your theological halos off when I said that. 
You may have the only chance I'll, you'll ever have in your entire life to look at your neighbor and say, yeah, you're just trash. You can see it. You're trash. I'm just, the preacher said it was okay. You're trash. Some of you, it's like, you've waited a lifetime to get to say that legally. You're trash. No hands can be applied. No hands can be applied. No. No, the first century world that the gospel was presented was a... Listen, we think it's bad. I've heard Christians recently over these last couple of years just looking at all the chaos in the world say, well, it's, I don't know what's going to happen to the church. But can I tell you, in heaven, God's not wringing his hands. There's no panic in heaven, just plans. So, oh, I don't know what the church is going to be. I mean, the church is this and the church is that. No, the church is in pretty good shape for the church is in. You know why? Because we still have the message that changes the world. And that is the message of the gospel. It is the great common denominator of all humanity. Every race, every tongue, every kindred, every tribe. There's one gospel, one Jesus, one Savior, one Lord of all. And he is the way, the truth, and the life. And nobody comes to the Father except through him. And that's good news. Because the best news is he shed his blood so you could be clean and he died so that you could have new life. Hallelujah. Praise God. No, it wasn't in those places. It was in the messed up, whacked out, weirded up people that the world had to give. Human slavery, racial bigotry, sexual depravity of every manner, economic poverty, unfair taxation. All you have to do is just read about the Roman Empire. Unfair taxation, crooked Politicians and corrupt preachers. How many believe that's pretty much just the way it is today? But yet the crew that Jesus picked, and I have to tell you, I probably wouldn't have picked them. I, I've, I've studied leadership a little bit, and I'm not sure Jesus studied a lot about leadership. Because the crew he picked, I'm not sure I would have picked. They were a motley crew indeed. Cussing fishermen. Anybody ever watch Deadly Catch or whatever that show is like? Cussing fishermen? I think that goes with being having a boat. It's like you got to cuss a little bit. And I, I mean, I think even if you're a Christian, you have to take a designated cusser, you know, or something. I don't know. Cussing fishermen. I mean, if you've ever had a big one on and it broke right before the, it gets to your boat, you know something needs to be said. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> It's like there are moments when something just needs to be said. <laughs> cussing preachers and, and uh, I mean, and fishermen, there's a few cussing preachers. <laughs> Tax collectors. I mean, this is Jesus' crew, right? Who changed the world. I mean, they changed the world. Tax collectors, nationalist fanatics, few prostitutes thrown in, few business people, priests, just a motley stew of humanity. So that tells me it wasn't about them, y'all. It was about the message they had. It was about the message they had. It was the gospel. Look at your neighbor and say, that's good news right there. That means there's not a single one in the room that doesn't qualify. If your life has been cleansed and you have brand new life in Christ and you're not who you used to be, then you know what? You have the right to say to somebody else they could have that life in Jesus too. And that's right. It's all of our job. Listen, the world is never going to be reached from the pulpit. It's going to be reached from the assembly line. It's going to be reached at Walmart. It's going to be reached on your street. That's where it's going to be reached when men and women whose lives have been changed, who know what they came from and what their life was like before. For Jesus have an opportunity to share with other folks what God could do in their life. That's when the world will be changed for the gospel, with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let me finish up. Let me finish up. 
All of this that I've had in this opening monologue today is designed to prove that a depraved world, and I won't argue that we're not in a depraved world, but I will tell you that a depraved world is no match for a glorified Christ demonstrated in the lives of the redeemed. I'm going to read that to you. I want it to sink in. All of this proves that a depraved world is no match for a glorified Christ demonstrated in the lives of the redeemed. Because, listen, y'all, we serve a God who can make the best things out of the worst situations. The best possible things out of the worst situations. I have a video I want you to watch. It's a little parable, and you'll have to connect the dots. When it finishes, I'll step up and, and help connect them for you. But let me set it up for you. It's a video that captured my attention, and it's a trailer, actually, for a, for a documentary that's about to come out. Actually, it may have already been released. In Keturah, Paraguay. Keturah, Paraguay is a dump, a village that's literally built on the landfill of the city of Ascension, Paraguay, major city in South America. It's not uncommon in third world countries for people, to, when they kind of hit the bottom, to wind up literally moving to the trash heaps or to the dump and then trying to make a living there. About 2,000 tons of trash a day is delivered to this village and dumped by the big trucks that come in. People will go through the restaurant refuse and they'll find food. And then there are those who are recyclers and they will try to find anything they can find of value. There's about 2,500 families that have made their home Keturah, Paraguay. And they have children. An environmental engineer who works with landfills and dumps and those kinds of things had a burden and a heart for the children of the dump. He began to work with some trash recyclers. And they had a musical background. And they thought, wouldn't it be cool if we could elevate the hope of the children by teaching them how to play instruments and teaching them to read music? The problem is they didn't have any instruments. And so they began to brainstorm together how could they create instruments for these children. They brought some musicians together who had expertise, and they literally began to make instruments out of trash. They eventually put together a variety of instruments, cellos, violins, saxophones, uh, flutes, uh, drums, all made out of trash. They began to teach. I don't even know how they tuned all that stuff. But they got it tuned, and they began to teach children music. They eventually developed a philharmonic orchestra, commonly known as the Landfill Harmonic. They got good. They began to travel and tour until the story that this trailer is about is about a world tour that they launched into the great concert halls around the world where all the musicians were children and all the instruments they were playing were made out of trash. Watch the video. Entienden? Bueno, entonces tienen que atender. Mi 
kids in Paraguay actually made all of the instruments out of trash. Look at this. That's a fork, people. Let the gift of music shine through tonight on that stage. clip I thought this is a parable of the gospel this is a parable of the gospel God specializes in making music out of trash in my notes I have one more story about a, another woman except she wasn't in the New Testament she was in the old but Jericho was her city as well perhaps it in a biblical sense, is the best presentation of the gospel in the Old Testament. It's a lady named Rahab. Everybody, anybody ever heard of Rahab? Rahab in the Old Testament, when the Joshua was sending the spies in to spy out the promised land, the spies went into Jericho and sneaked in, and they stayed in a house of prostitution. That may offend you. I'm not saying they did anything, but I'm just saying that was the motel and the hotel of the day. And it was being operated by a lady named Rahab. Rahab's name is mentioned eight times in the scripture. Eight times. Five times she's called a harlot. I mean, wouldn't it be cool? How many of you just think, man, it'd just be cool to have my name in the book? Right? I mean, really. It's like, well, what's the, what's the greatest claim to fame you have? Well, my name is mentioned in the Bible. I mean, the Bible, y'all. But what if five times of the eight your name was mentioned said you're a harlot. That's what it is about right now. She was making her living in the sex industry of the day. And these men came on a mission to do reconnaissance so Joshua and the children of Israel would know about the city. But God had another plan. I believe it with all my heart. Because when they got there and they were in Rahab's house, she spared them from the king's men that were looking for them and hid them. Showed kindness to them. And then here's what she said. I believe that your God is the Lord of heaven and earth. I, I believe that God has given you this land. All the people are terrified because of what... We've all heard how He parted the Red Sea. We've all heard what He did in terms of bringing you victory over the kings. And I pray that when you come into this place and God gives you this land, that you will remember my kindness. And that you will remember what I did for you. And that you will spare my dad and my mom. 
and my brothers and my sisters. They agree. And she lets them out her window with a rope that happened to be scarlet in color. A red cord. I don't think God does anything by accident. They said, we will do all that we have sworn to you as long as you keep it a secret. I'm convinced, ladies and gentlemen, that Jericho was her dump and Rahab was a woman of the heap of the dump. When Joshua came and God gave them victory and destroyed the city, the only house that was spared was Rahab's house. And God honored the covenant that he made. But the story doesn't end there. See, those missionaries, those men were sent as spies, they thought. I believe they were missionaries. See, they had their mind set on reconnaissance. God had his heart set on rescue. You say, what are you talking about, Brother Brassfield? Well, he rescued Rahab because God had a plan and a purpose for Rahab, the harlot. That's right. (laughs) They came to her house like a hundred, maybe a thousand before. That's all kind. But God had a different mission. Rahab became a believer in the one God of heaven. We read about Rahab later and found out that she got married. The scripture says that Joshua put her in the, just outside the camp and then she assimilated essentially into the camp of Israel and said, to this day, Rahab and her family are part of the covenant family of God. And did you know that she eventually married a man named Salmon? And they had a baby boy together named Boaz. Rahab the harlot. Boaz was Ruth's kinsman redeemer. And together they had a son named Obed. And Obed and his wife came together and they had a son named Jesse. Jesse and his wife came together and they had eight sons. And one of their names was David the king. This harlot, this trash woman... This woman who was in the landfield of life. It was the gospel, y'all. It's the gospel. That means if you understand that she was the great-great-great-grandmother of King David, that she would have also been the great-great-great-great-grandmother many times removed of the Lord Jesus Christ. (laughs) Stand with me all over the house. Would you do that? I don't know what your dump was. I know what mine was. I don't know what your dump was. I don't know where you came from. I don't know what messed up, whacked out, weirded out experiences you've had. But I got good news for you today. The blood of Jesus can wash it all away. All of your sins that stained, all the debt that you owe, you don't owe that debt anymore because Jesus paid the price. His blood satisfied the debt, the debt, but His death allowed you to become a brand new creation in Christ Jesus. That the old things that passed away they're gone they're gone Rahab made the hall of the faithful in Hebrews chapter 11 too the writer of Hebrews says by faith Rahab the harlot (laughs) did not perish with those who did not believe and she received the spies of God with peace James said that her faith was demonstrated in her actions and became justification for her 
I got one word for any of you who've missed the mark and any of you who've suffered with your own failure, any of you who've spent a lifetime working your way to the bottom. I got one word for you this morning, Rahab. If God can do it for Rahab and put her in the lineage of a miracle, God can do it for you no matter what you've done or what's been done to you. And God sent me here like the spies of Jericho to rescue someone, to rescue some Rahab, male or female. God sent me here to rescue you with a word of hope and a word that the gospel is still good news. And if you're here today and you would say, just bow your heads and close your eyes. If you're here today and you'd say, Brother Brassfield, I'm Rahab. Just raise your hand right now. Don't wait. I'm Rahab. That's my story. That's my life. I see your hand, that hand, that hand, that hand. Anyone else? Anyone else? That's my story. Can I tell you today without offending anyone, that's all of our story. That's all of our story. Here's what I want us to do quickly. Our time has slipped away. But if you're here today and you say, I want to celebrate what God has done or I want God to do something brand new in my life, I want you just to step out in the aisle. You don't have to come forward. Just step out in the aisle. Do it quickly. Do it quickly. Right now. Do it quick. Our time slipped away. Do it quickly. If that's your story, just step out in the aisle. Or if you're glad about what God has done in your life, step out in the aisle. Step out in the aisle. If there's folks in this room that hadn't forgotten what it was like to be lost and on your road to hell, but if it wasn't for God's grace that saved you in the nick of time, some of you would have already been in the grave if it hadn't been for God's grace in your life. Step out in the aisle. Step out in the aisle. That's you. Step out in the aisle. Step out in the aisle. I don't have an aisle up here, but I promise if I did, I'd get in it. That's where I'd be, standing right in the middle of his aisle. Because we all face things that if God don't intervene. But how many are glad? But God. But God. But God. But God. Amen. Pray this prayer with me right now. Pray it with me right now. Lord Jesus, today I receive all that you provide. Everything your blood provides, I drink it in. Everything that you accomplished in your death, I receive by faith. I'm not who I used to be. I'm a brand new creation in you. Therefore, I will not try to pay that debt on my own anymore. I will not carry shame. I will not carry guilt. I will not carry condemnation because you paid the debt. And I receive that in faith right now. In Jesus' name. Amen. Give me a hand clap of praise. You've been a great group. It's always great to see you. God bless you.